All right, so it's very exciting. We're going to continue our um, series that Daniel started last week for us in the biography about the life of Jesus in the book of John. And we're going to key in on one verse that is going to pull out our theme that we're going to go through. So we should have up there John 3.16. I'm going to keep Danny on his toes tonight, all right? So I would like us to read this together out loud, okay? For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, this really well-known verse um, is a phrase this, that Jesus says often in the book of John. But what does Jesus mean when he says eternal life? Now, leading up to this famous verse, in the book of John in chapter three, Jesus is having a conversation with a chap named Nicodemus, who was a very important religious um, Jewish leader. It's like Jesus is chatting with the bishop. And it's at night probably because Nicodemus doesn't want to be seen speaking to Jesus. And Nicodemus comes in and, and he starts with some flattery. Jesus, I know you're amazing. You're doing some cool stuff. And to which Jesus replies with a total non sequitur and says, you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And as you might expect, Nicodemus goes, uh, I'm old, how can I be born from my mother's womb again? And Jesus comes back again with a slightly sideways strange reply that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit something natural and something spiritual. And Jesus goes on to say then that there's human life, but that the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. And Jesus carries on chatting with Nicodemus. And this is where we come to our very famous verse 16, where he says, this is how God loves the world, that everyone who believes will have eternal life. So what is this eternal life and how does one get it? That's what we're gonna think about today. And the answer to the second question is really given in our verse in John. Um, you get eternal life by believing in Jesus. We're going to leave that bit for a minute, park that, and talk about that at the end. But first, I want to dig a little bit more into what does he mean when he says eternal life? Okay, so as a warm-up, I have something for you to chat about with just a couple people near you. Can you identify a time in your life, like a, an era or a, a phase, a period of time, in which it was unique or special in some ways, like when you had a certain job or a long-term project, or maybe you were a student, or maybe you lived in a certain place? What characteristics did that era or period of time have that made it unique? Go. So. Uh, any volunteers for eras or um, times that they thought of? You can shout them if, if you're willing, or I can come with the mic. Early 20s pre-kids, pre definitely an era, and it ends, boom. Anyone else? Traveling, traveling a period of traveling, yeah, yeah. The pandemic. The Bonk. That was a, an era. It was characterized by something. Anyone else? Living near the beach. Yeah. 
So that is a trait or a characteristic of that period of time. What's that? Oh, <laughs> seeing the sun. It will come again, Ryan, don't worry. <laughs> Three days in July, <laughs> whether you want it or not. Okay, well, um, thanks for that feedback. You all have just described what the Bible in Hebrew takes the Hebrew term translated as eternal life. And the phrase eternal life actually means life unto the age. Life unto the age. And it means a period of time. It could be the past, it could be the present, it could be the future, which is characterized by something, a set of traits, some common attributes. And sometimes we, we might think of an era or a, a, a phase, yeah? And so you can exist in more than one age or era at a time. For instance, when you're a student at uni, you might also be in an age or an era where you are single. And they may be shorter or longer, and they may overlap in some way. So a biblical understanding, if eternal life is life unto an age or life of an era, what age is it? What are we talking about? What, what characterizes it? What are its attributes? What kind of life or age is it describing? And like so many themes in scripture, um, we find that our theme actually starts on page one of the Bible. It's very exciting, and here I have to say, just do the Bible project, please, it's amazing. But it's a great place to learn. So in the garden, the first people are living. They're having it good. They, Adam and Eve, lived walking and talking with God, the creator of the universe, their father. They're drinking from the water of life, this spring which flowed from Eden into the world. They're eating from the tree of life, which represents God's very own life for them. Um, and they're living in eternal life because they were connected to God's very divine self and God's life. But, it's a pretty big but, they chose to seize life on their own terms. They didn't fully believe or trust that God was telling them what was best. And they wanted to have control and they, they wanted more. And so they chose to eat from the tree of knowing good and bad. And in doing so, they rejected God's wisdom and direction in their life. And death enters the world. Now, Adam and Eve are still alive. They didn't die in their bodies. But still, boom, they died in a real way in their spirits. Because in turning away from God and as a consequence, they were separated from that life of union with God. And they moved from that age into the age of mortality and sin and death. So two different eras, two different ages. And while people rejected God's wisdom in the garden, God promised to open the way back up, to bring back this eternal life. And the rest of the Bible tells the story of reuniting and restoring creation. And that's you and me, everyone you know, every bit of creation in the world around us, and it all culminates in Jesus. Boom! 
If the impact of Jesus' birth and life and death and resurrection was a physical manifestation in the world, it would be global hurricane, tsunami, earthquake, eclipse, sonic boom. I mean, some of which did happen in the biblical story, not sonic boom, but other things. Because with Jesus, boom, comes a new age. The world time is fundamentally changed. So God, um, Jesus is God's own life become human. And in Jesus, both ages overlap. Jesus is fully human. He lives in the age of, of mortality. But at the same time, Jesus is fully God. And this fullness of divine, eternal life was in and was and still is in Jesus. And eternal life, which is characterized by that quality of being fully spiritually alive and connected to God, that kind of life, that's what we're talking about when we talk about eternal life. So Jesus is God's promised way back into eternal life, into that kind of life, a true life lived with God as God's image bears. So Jesus is that pathway. He's that bridge, or as he says, the way, truth, and life. Jesus says in John 17, he's praying and talking to God the Father, and he says, and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. And Jesus says these words um, a lot of ways, in, in, in different ways. Believe, and you'll have eternal life. We heard John 3.16, John 3.36, very clear. Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Can't get more straightforward than that. He uses um, different metaphors and illustration, as in John 4.14. You know, yep. Those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It, which is the water of life, will become a fresh, bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Sounds like the water of life in the garden. And then the last one, he says, I tell you the truth, those who listen to my message and believe in God, who, have, who has sent me, have eternal life. They will never be condemned for their sins, but they have already passed from death into life. So Jesus is telling us there's two kinds of life. Or really, what he's telling us is our lives are tainted by death. But you can choose to have the eternal kind of life with me as your king and your savior. Jesus' life overcame death and overcame sin, and he came to give them that same life to us. So Jesus' life was one that was connected in step with the Father, and he, he opens a way, and he invites us in. It's, it's just, it's just mind-bending, but he invites us, each one, into that relationship that he has, Father, Spirit, and Jesus. He says, I'm offering you true life, which is life that does not end, 
It doesn't end at physical death, but it's eternal. And it's eternal life now. It's not just when we die, it starts now. So remember, we just had that verse where it says they passed from death to life now. So what characterizes this kind of spiritual life in your groups? If you have experienced this kind of life now, share something that you find meaningful about it or that you appreciate about it. You, can, you have experienced it. If you haven't experienced it or if you're not sure, you could think about what might you like it to look like if it were true? Couple minutes, just in your groups. All right. So, some of you will have shared some things, and you'll be maybe thinking about things um, that come to your mind. But eternal life, life now with God, changes everything. And I want to highlight just a few things, gifts of this eternal kind of life. And to do that, we're going to look at a couple of verses in the book of Ephesians. So, strain from John. But these few short verses bring out so much of what it means to live life with God now. So, I'm just going to go through these few um, verses and just bring out some of these aspects of eternal life so it says, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. United with Christ in ways we can't fully understand and comprehend, but are real and we experienced were brought into that loving relationship with God and God's very presence in the spirit lives in us and we're united with Christ. It's just incredible. Okay, next. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God loves us. He loves us so much that he, he gave Jesus to die for us. So much love, we can't comprehend it, but man is a really good exercise to try. It's a really good exercise to, to dwell on. And we're made holy and without fault. Not, not from what we did. <laughs> because we're forgiven, as it says um, in another verse or two. We can't do it, but Jesus does it for us. Jesus becomes our rightness. And all those images of being new creations and washed clean are just stunning. Next one, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family, to bring us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So God's brought us into his family. We belong as a, a follower of Jesus. We call the family of God the church, and we mean both the local community that this expression is Gloucester Vineyard Church. We mean every community of believers that follow Jesus in Gloucester, in the UK, in the world. We are, they are all a part of God's family. And it means we belong. We have people to love and encourage us, to challenge us, to do life with. Even imperfect. 
It's an amazing gift. And the last one. So we praise God for his glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He was so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us along with all wisdom and understanding. So God gives us grace and kindness, freedom and wisdom. Those small words hold so much. They're so huge. Eternal life now is one where we are recipients of grace, God's kindness to us, freedom, freedom from sin, freedom to live with purpose, freedom to live with joy, wisdom, available, present to us. And Desi Dolomont in portions goes, here's some for you, here's some for you, here's your portion. Oh, sorry, you used yours. No, no, he does not. He pours them out. He showers them on us. Incredible. And that's the kind of life I want. That's the kind of life I need. And as a bonus, these are all gifts and parts of the eternal life that I have received. I get to have them flow from me and out into others. So in a little bit more practical terms then, what does eternal life look like? And here's where we're gonna do just the second bit of our question here. How do we get this eternal life? Uh, our verse there is again up there. We're called to believe. John 3:16 and many others. To believe, to know, to trust, to count as true, to have faith. To believe is to have confidence that something is true and real. Faith or to believe in the Bible is not, oh, I hope so, or um, maybe, we'll see. No, 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 no. It's something um, that you physically can't see, but is true and real. And it has a, a strong connection. Belief has a strong connection with seeing. So in John, Jesus often talks about sight and seeing, and he uses it as synonymously with believing. We need to see things differently. Because when we see things differently, um, our wisdom, our own sight, is not great. But by believing that God is who he says he is, that God is the creator, and we are the created, and that God loves us and desires our very best, then we see the world differently. Living an eternal kind of life is seeing reality with God's vision and relying on God's wisdom to guide our lives. And remember the garden where those first folks said, we want more, we want something else. God, we don't trust that you're guiding us for our best and we're going to do it on our own terms. And their vision became distorted and dim. And in, on our own, we're the same. We, we just don't always do a good job of living well. And we don't always see things rightly. We experience shame and fear and many other kinds of lack in ourselves. But by trusting God, 
believing that true life is found in him where God says it is, in the ways that he says it is, that is how we live in eternal life. If we believe and trust that he offers us the best life, all those gifts that we just read about in Ephesians 1, then we begin to see differently and we begin to shape our lives differently. So eternal life is where we're living in God's kingdom ways, living life deeply connected to God, even we, as we anticipate that one day it'll be fully that way. And we do that even while we know that we still live in an age of sin and death. Life suddenly does not become perfect. You might have noted that. Both realities are happening. But eternal life, God's power, and his life has already won. So Jesus already defeated sin and death and has complete victory, that eternal kind of life now and forever. So while it is a struggle, it's a struggle not of two equals, and it's a fight whose winner is already determined, and it's done. Eternal life wins. We know that Jesus did that for us on the cross. So remember earlier in the autumn, you might have to cast your mind back, we did a couple of weeks on living as if. Yeah? Living as if all that God says is true. So let's get practical because that is what it is like to live eternal life now. What difference does it make? We can't touch eternal life and we can't put it in the bank. So what does it mean? When we live life connected to eternal life, it does genuinely change everything. It changes how we see our physical earth. Is it rocks and trees and water and grass, commodities to use, or is it God's good creation that he gifted to us to enjoy and to cultivate, to grow and to steward? It changes how we see people. That person at work who's just a bit of a pain is actually someone that God loves and wants to be in a relationship with. And if I see more with eternal vision, I look at them differently. And of course, I can relate to them and everyone else differently, knowing that I am coming from a place that I am secure. I am loved and accepted daughter or son of the king of the universe. I don't have to play power games. I don't have to promote myself at someone else's cost. I don't have to feel threatened that someone's going to damage my identity. If God's good world is one where God provides, then we don't have to act from fear or scarcity or scramble to get our fair share. We can act from generosity and security. We can ask God's wisdom to help us be, be, be wise with our finance. God's way of life is where it's really at. So true life, full life, when we seek to live our lives in line with what he says. And part of this is living in obedience. We follow God's ways in how we treat each other, how we act 
justly, how we use our words. We want to know more of what God is like and how he wants us to live. How does God want us to live? Jesus gives us teachings and the, the scripture tells us God's character. We could just look for, for three sentences at Matthew 5 where he says, in his kingdom where we are living eternal life now, in his kingdom, not only do we not murder, but we, we don't harbor hate. In his kingdom, when things go wrong in our relationships, we try to reconcile them and make them right. Not only do we not act sexually outside of marriage, but we don't lust in our hearts. People, uh, we're people in the kingdom whose words are true and reliable, who can be counted on. We're people who forgive when we're hurt. We're people who seek to love each other. And we live this way because we believe what God has said is true and that true life is found in him. So as we go through each day, we can ask for God's perspective and God's wisdom. We have God with us, literally, literally in us, in the spirit. So we can ask spirit to give us his eyes, his views, and he's promised he wants to give us those things. So the, the more we know God, the more time we spend, the more we come to understand, the more our, we are transformed from the inside. It's a lifetime process, but it's so rewarding. And when we face hard things, because we still live in this age, and we will face hard things, really hard things sometimes, we still do it very differently living in eternal life because we don't face it alone. We have God's presence with us, holding us, weeping when we weep. We face hard times with God's wisdom, with the support of the church family. And God's presence calls us to a future hope that is real and true, even if it won't be fully completed until the end of this age. But eternal life starts now. It's a transformation of all the ways that we think and act. It's learning to see differently. We're going to come into communion time. And um, I thought we could watch this small clip from a series called The Chosen. Some of you might have seen it or heard of it. Um, it's free to watch online. And it brings stories of Jesus' encounters with people to life. We're big fans. Really recommend it. The Chosen takes these biblical stories with some good scholarship and biblical background, and they imagine some backstories and what it might have looked like for these encounters with real people to unfold. And we're going to watch John 3, a little clip of Jesus' conversation with the Bish, with uh, the Pharisee Nicodemus. Okay, so throughout um, the, the first episodes, Nicodemus comes to life as this character. He's seeking God. He's, in, he's intrigued by Jesus, but he's bound by rules. He's bound by position and former understandings. So I'd like us to watch the encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus, and I want us to ask three things of ourselves. Perhaps there is a way in which we will identify with Nicodemus. What holds us back from believing what Jesus says is true? 
And can we ask Jesus to help us overcome that? Other areas in our life where the Spirit would speak to us about us using our own wisdom and view and rejecting God's wisdom and ways. Do we need to ask for forgiveness or move to living in that area in God's ways and not our own? And lastly, are there areas in our lives where we just are not experiencing the eternal kind of life that God has for us? Are we not allowing God to shower his grace and love and forgiveness and kindness and all that he wants to pour into us? And can we ask God to help us open up to those gifts that he has for us? So we're going to watch the clip, and then Emily's going to lead us, and then we'll have the opportunity as you reflect to take communion. Okay. What else? What have you come here to show us? A kingdom. That is what our rulers are worried about. No, not that kind. Then what? A sort of kingdom that a person cannot see unless he is born again. Born again? Yes. You mean like a new creature? A conversion from Gentile to Jewish? No, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Then what is born again? <laughs> I hope you don't mean return to the womb, because that would be a problem for me. My mother, may she rest in peace, is dead. Truly, I say to you, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. That part of you, that, is what must be reborn to new life. How can these things be? of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things. Huh? I'm trying, Rabbi. I know. I know. Do you hear this? What? Listen. What do you hear? The wind? How do you know it's the wind? Because I can feel it. I hear its sound. Do you know where it comes from? No. Do you know where it's going? No. That's what it is to be born again of the Spirit. The Spirit may work in a way that is a mystery to you. And while you cannot see the Spirit, you can recognize his effect. Mind is consumed with thoughts of what a stir these words would cause among the teachers of the law. Yes. And I do not expect otherwise. I speak of what I know and have seen, and it has not been received by the religious leaders. It is hard to receive. So if I have told you of earthly things, and you do not believe, how can I tell you heavenly things? I believe your words. I just fear you may not have a chance to speak many more of them before you are silenced. I have come to do more than speak words, Nicodemus. More miracles? Yes. But even more than that, do you remember when the children of Israel complained against God and against Moses 
In the wilderness of Paran? Yes. They wanted to return to Egypt and they cursed the manna that God sent them. And then? They were bitten by serpents and they were dying. But? But God made a way for them to be healed. Moses lifted the bronze serpent in the desert and people only needed to look at it. So will the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Our people are not dying from snake bites. They're dying from taxation and oppression. I'm sorry to disappoint you. But I did not come to deliver the people from Rome. Then from what? From sin. From spiritual death. God loves the world in this way. That he gave his only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish eternal life.